We've got some great news to report, everyone. Our brother's wife has given birth to a healthy baby girl. But have you guys seen how expensive college is? And Weldon's older than me. The odds of him being there when she actually makes it to college aren't super, super high. So support the college fund. We need some of your money. Go to letsrun.com slash subscribe today and join the supporters club to help baby Mary go to college. Or if that's too much for you, how about signing up for our VPN? Go to letsrun.com slash VPN. Baby Mare thanks you for your support. Welcome to this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. We're just nine days out from the 2023 USATF Outdoor Championships in Eugene, and we've got a lot to discuss, people. We had the USATF NYC Grand Prix on Saturday, where the stars aligned, and we saw a Thing Mo and Sydney McLaughlin Lavroni competing at the same track meet. We also saw Zarnell Hughes run a stunning British record of 9.83 in the 100 meters, and Bryce Hoppel returned to winning ways, taking the 800 in 144. Plus, Hobbs Kessler, the 20-year-old phenom, ran a personal best in that race, and Cole Hawker out on the West Coast also ran a personal best in the 800, which means Rojo is incredibly excited for the men's 1500 at USA's where they'll square off against Yard News and Cooper We'll make our predictions for who will win and who will go home devastated in both the 800 and the 1500 at USA's. We'll also have a quick preview of Friday's Lausanne Diamond League. And we end the show with a fantastic interview with Narva Nordas, the 24-year-old Norwegian who has gone from 336 to 329 in the 1500 this season. He tells us what it's like to train under Gert Ingebrigtsen, why he thinks he's still not done improving, why he considers himself the slowest sub-330 man in history, and his message to the Let's Run.com message board posters. Yes, he reads them, who have questioned his improvement. This is Jonathan Galt. I am joined by Robert Johnson, Weldon Johnson, the co-founders and co-hosts of this podcast. And on Weldon's right shoulder, the newest member of the Let's Run.com Supporters Club, Meredith Johnson. Weldon, welcome to the show. Congrats. Hello, baby Meredith. Good to be here, John. Any Sounds you hear from the baby. I'm a total professional. You guys didn't even know I had a baby in my lap the whole time, did you? But baby mayor is healthy. Her mom is healthy. Doing well in the Johnson household. I'll give you guys big picture stuff because I wasn't getting too caught up in like the men's 200 meters at the New York City Grand Prix. Not sure why that one was last Intern Alex, I see, isn't here. My Wagner-level stuff is doing great. I appointed him interim CEO in my absence. He's been breaking stories left and right. He had a story, Donovan Brazier, likely not to race this year. See, you guys kept that off the homepage for about three days. Now he's iced from this podcast. Uh, This is like Putin-Wagner 
stuff going on behind the scenes that lets run, but the the boat will keep sailing smoothly for everyone listening at home. I'm just impressed. Weldon multitasking right now. This this is a uh, this is great stuff. I mean, sometimes you got your other daughter; she's made an appearance occasionally on the show, but. We'll try to get your hot takes before you have to. I'm sure that there's going to be some sort of baby issue you'll have to deal with. Uh, she's less than one week old. So I'm impressed. And Robert, you don't have a baby on your shoulder. So I'm expecting 100% effort and commitment from you in this podcast. I always bring my A game. Any dumb thing that Weldon says we can write off as due to a lack of good sleep. This just... The opening of this is reminding me, I, I never was into birth order because Walden and I are kind of identical twins and we're the only ones in our family, but my God, birth order is important. Like when we had the first child, we were scared for like six weeks to do any work. I'm worried, where did he just put the baby, John? It's no longer veiled. Like, did he just put it on the desk in front of him? Like, Walden, she well, needs to he, be in a career. Oh, there she is. Okay. He said she was on his lap before. I'm pretty sure that I, I think Walden's a pretty good dad. I don't think he's going to be doing any malpractice here. But I am a little worried, Robert. You said in our introduction to the show, you weren't sure that sure that he was going to be able to make it to when Meredith's in college. I mean, are you concerned about your own health? From what I understand, you guys are turning, what, 30 years old, 40 years old this year? So you're saying that you're not going to make it another 18 years on top of that? That's a pretty early death for two serious runners, a, a potential sub-three marathoner or his genetic equivalent. We have a signature birthday coming up this summer, less than one month. We'll be let's run like Humfounders Day, July 24th. Weldon somehow is, I don't know how this works, turning a decade older than me. But John, I'm starting to get really worried about age. All right. Well, let's run like Humfounders Day. That's next month. Let's talk about what's going on right now. Let's talk about the NYC Grand Prix. Big time track and field on national television in the United States, 1 to 3 p.m. I watched it. Uh, I wouldn't say that all of the races were terribly compelling. You know, you had a few ones where there was one big star. Weldon, the reason the men's 200 was lost is because Noah Lyles is in this race. And initially, it was going to be Noah Lyles against Fred Curley, two reigning world champions. I would say the two best sprinters in the world right now on the men's side. But Curly ends up withdrawing, so you've only got Noah Lyles, and he just smokes everyone, as expected. But we had a thing, Mo in the 800, her first race in 11 months. We had Sydney McLaughlin, Lavroni racing. We had a pretty nice USA preview in the men's 800. Let's talk about Mo. Low discussion coming into this one. I think we all thought she probably would win, but... I expected she would get a challenge, maybe a challenge from Ajay Wilson, who was number two in the world entering this race at 158.16. That wasn't the case at all. Wilson just had an off day. She really faded the last 250 meters, went from third to 11th in 207.97. I think Mo was the opposite. She didn't go with the pacemaker early, was in front with 200 to go, but hadn't broken the race open yet. And I think the second that everyone sort of starts thinking, oh, could she be vulnerable? Is something wrong? No. The old thing Mo popped up over the last 200 meters. She ripped it in 
pasted everyone, put two seconds on the field, wins it in 158-73, and her 2023 season is off and running. John, there's one big takeaway from this meet. A thing Mo is back three-fourths of the way through that race, I was wondering. But I have no doubts. She may not be the favorite for Worlds. I mean, she still could lose to Worlds. But I just had concerns like, is she going to be close to the level she used to be at? And I, I feel confident that she is. She looked great. The other woman in the field, it was like there was a force field around a thing, Mo. We know she's never lost a race as a pro. She ever actually been behind in a race as a pro? Like the pace was slow and like nobody would take one step in front of her. I wish somebody at least tried to see if then she would have picked up the pace. But welcome back, a thing, Mo. Glad to see you racing. My takeaway is, and I like to think that I thought about this before the race, but I can't say 100% certainty I, I did, but I think I did. Her boyfriend, Brandon Miller, was running. Our big concern was how is she doing under Bobby Kersey? You know, John's like, oh, he's a good coach. I'm like, he's not an 800 coach. It's it's like a completely different sport than the 400 almost. But there's crossover between the four and the eight. But I'm like, Brandon Miller's running pretty well, so why won't she do okay? Like, she could do a lot of the same workouts. She doesn't – this is not the 5,000 or anything like that. But yeah, 600 meters in, you're like, what's going on? Because normally she starts to make a move, I would say around 500. But the margin of victory was staggering. Two plus seconds. I think she ran 28.6. Super impressive. And I wrote in the week that was, our written weekly recap, that to me it's clear, Keeley and Othing Mel are going to get gold and silver. It's just a matter of who gets what. Everybody else in the world sort of struggles to run 158. 158 is an all-out great performance for them. And, and here she is negative splitting it, her first race. But 158, even with a big last 200, is a long way away from 155. Keely Hodgson averages 28.9 the entire way. This was 28.6 for the final 200. Yeah, it's a good way of putting it, Robert. But she does have two months to get ready for the world championship so i'm gonna guess she's gonna improve between now and then i think she could have run probably a little faster i was curious you didn't go right with the pacemaker I was no wondering. no st stop that i'm so sick of people writing that saying that they said it on the broadcast i didn't watch it live i went back and watched it she didn't go with the rabbit that rabbit should never rabbit again d go back go watch the split the rabbit went out in like 26 seconds like, okay, okay, but she, I think Mo ran her first lap in 59.5, which is but slower than usual. One of the reasons why we're getting better times in some of these races, we're getting better rabbiting. It's a much smoother first in these 1500s. It's a much smoother first 400 and accurate 400. Instead of going a super fast 200, then slowing down and hitting the 400 split, like the rabbit was awful. I, I still don't understand how they don't have a pacing light at Icon Stadium. Like a lot about this meet was great, and I think we've reached out to Global Athletics. The crowd to me at least seemed better than it was when it was a Diamond League meet. Like a decent crowd to me. I don't know if there's any proof of that, but like when I was when we were broadcasting those American record attempts indoors and the co during COVID, help me out, John. You remember his name sometimes. Some guy's got his off-the-shelf like light pacing system that he does for like two grand. Like light speed pacing. 
I don't know if he's I mean, gotten out of it, but every track in America should have one of these and, and the rabbiting should be done properly. I don't, I don't think every single meet needs wave light or a pacing light. It doesn't really bother me that much. I didn't mind it. It was, it was interesting to me that she was still there with 200 meters left. Then get rid of the rabbit. And what the other thing that struck me, I was like, I hadn't seen a thing Mo race for a while. So I kind of forgot that she likes to run the turn way out on the outside of lane one. And it was interesting because she said she does that. She doesn't, she has long limbs. She doesn't want to get tripped up. There was no one around her and she's just running this extra distance. And I'm thinking, I'm like, one of these days, this might actually cost her. And then I'm like, no, she did it in the world championship final last year. And it still didn't cost her. And that race was decided by like a couple hundredths. So maybe she's just good enough. That will never come back to bite her. But I always, I find that kind of interesting. It's just pretty noticeable when she's running on her own. What I'd like to see at Worlds is for Keeley to beat her with an inside pass of the line to make well, She tried to do it last year in the final. It didn't work. Like Keeley uh, had the inside lane and it, she couldn't quite manage it. And that was also because Mo started drifting back in towards the finish line. It did seem to me, though, that Mo was a little unsure of herself. Like afterwards, she was like, that was pretty good. Not sure exactly what she thought. And a woman that's won 2,800s in a row, never lost as a pro. I think she would be the betting favorite. But Mo wasn't as good as she was last year in 2020, in 2022 as she was in 2021. She has a new coach. Keeley appears to be better than ever. Now, we're only judging it off of one race where Keeley herself seems shocked by the time. But if Keeley's better than ever, and I think Mo is not better than ever, Keeley's going to win that race. So I think it would be good for the sport for Keeley to win it, to see someone that actually races a lot win. But at the same time, I'm not going to fault Mo for moving to LA, taking some time off. Like, my mom used to always say everyone gets tired of college by the time they're a senior. She would have been only her third year at Texas A&M, but sounds like she kind of wants to be a celebrity. When I was looking for pictures of our thing, Mo, on Getty Images, they didn't have anyone at the meet, but you, you can click on most recent pictures. And all the pictures were of her and boyfriend Brandon Miller at like these L.A. type like movie premieres and celebrity events. Well, Robert, it's interesting. I listened to her comments to Lewis Johnson on the NBC broadcast and then in the mix zone afterwards. And obviously, one of the topics of conversation is why haven't you raced in 11 months? And after hearing her talk, I kind of understand it more. I mean, I would love to see her race more. I'm sure many fans of the sport would like to see her race more. But she was saying, look, I've ha I had a long year in 2021. That's undoubtedly true. She was racing since January. She goes all the way through the Olympics. Then she runs the pre-classic. Fantastic season. Last year, she was saying, you know, that was pretty long as well. She did race indoors. She raced a bunch of times before Worlds. She didn't race at all after Worlds, but still from January till July, all right, she was racing a bunch. She was just like, look, I've had two straight seasons of going all the way to World Championships or the Olympics. She runs her best there. She's basically, she's won the two biggest titles available to her, the World and, eight, and Olympic 800. And I think it's kind of natural. You put all this time and effort into achieving these goals. You kind of want to relax. You blow off steam. You want to explore the world. Like, think about, I know when I graduated college, I put a lot into my collegiate running. And then the next couple of years, I was just like, 
I when I wasn't running competitively anymore, I'm like, oh, okay, I kind of want to take advantage of some of the stuff I wasn't able to do when running was all I thought about. And I think, Mo, you take that to an even higher level because she's competing at a far higher level than, you know, Ivy League 10K runner. She has other stuff she wants to do outside of track. She wants to sort of take advantage of these opportunities she's been given. And she doesn't think, oh, I need to be going out and running in January, February, or March. It's just not that appealing. I've already done the biggest things in the sport. So is it that big a deal for me? Do I want to run at the Milrose games? I can kind of understand how she would want to explore some of these other opportunities. Now, those opportunities have come about because of what she's been able to deliver on the track. But I get it. As a 20, 21-year-old, it's exciting to be able to travel the world, to go to these big events, to do new stuff, especially after so much of your focus the last two years have been locked in on track stuff. There you have it, folks. John, the apologist for Jenny Simpson, Athing Mo, and everyone else. Je- that Jenny worked. Simpson? I mean, what? Yeah, she, she never did much of an indoor season. I mean, she always she raced a bunch outdoors, uh, and she has won U.S. titles indoors, but... What I no, what I would say about a thing, Mo, it's kind of interesting to compare her to Jakob Ingebrigtsen, right? Because Jakob, pretty similar. They were both phenoms, both Olympic champions before their 21st birthday. And Jakob kind of admits his life, a lot of the stuff he does isn't all that exciting. It's a lot of grinding away. It's just resting between sessions. It's going up to Sierra Nevada in Spain, the altitude camp there where there's really nothing to do and just grinding and grinding away. But he's someone who really loves competing and loves winning and being on top of the world and doing all this stuff. Like he loves the sport more than a thing, Mo. And that's not a shot at either one of them. It's just, that's a fact. He enjoys track and field more than she does. And so he is like, his thinking is, this is my athletic prime. I'm going to take advantage of every opportunity. I'm going to try to run as fast as I can. I'm going to try to break records while that's still available to me and win all these titles. The thing, Mo, she still has some of those record-breaking aims, but she also wants to explore stuff outside of the sport and some of the stuff you can't do when you're at altitude camp for four months out of the year. Bad analogy, John. I almost feel like a thing Mo and Jakob Ingebrigtsen are in different sports. And I, I know when Weldon was at the University of Texas, the assistant coach was Dan Paff, who's now a great guru who is part of Altus and all this stuff. And Weldon's like, what do the sprinters really do? He's like, dude, you couldn't handle one of their workouts. Like, it's just much more intensive. If you tried to do what they did, it's all out. Like, it's just, it's very hard what they do, it's, even though it doesn't look like it's that long. But that being said, I think the amount of work and the lifestyle required to be Jakob Ingebrigtsen to be the world's best 5,000 runner is miles more difficult than what it takes to be the best 800 meter runner. Like a thing Mo A doesn't live at altitude, doesn't have to go to these camps and doesn't have to run twice a day. You know, it's, it's just, there's a lot more work required, you know, to be a long distance runner, I think than an 800 meter store. Sure, people are going to be yelling at me and saying that's not true. How tall is our thing, Mo? I was really struck by the pictures. When she puts on the high heels at these gala events, I think she went to the ESPN football playoff maybe. She's like a head taller than Brandon Miller. 
I mean, she's pretty tall. She's taller than most of her opponents in the 800. Anyways, it's good to have her back. I still don't understand why she's not going for the 4-8 double. Now, is her 800... Is her 800 meter PB still faster than Sydney McLaughlin Lavroni's, or is Lavroni get her this week? Because well, I think Mo's 800 PB is still faster, but I think you mean her 400 PB, Robert. And yes, now Sydney McLaughlin Lavroni's 400 personal best is faster than a thing Mo's. She ran 49.51 to win in New York on Saturday. A thing Mo's personal best is 49.57, and. I think the reason at this point why a thing Mo, I mean, a thing Mo was asked about the 400 800 by uh, Alex Kula in the mix zone, and he, she said it's not off the table, but essentially is like, I'll run whatever Bobby tells me to run. And from everything Bobby Kersey has said, he doesn't want his athletes racing each other, and he wants Sydney in the 400 and a thing in the 800 and maybe the 1500 next year. But in terms of what makes the most sense for a thing, Mo, clearly it's the 400-800 if she's going to pursue a double next year. Because this is just, it's crazy to me. Someone on the message board, I don't know who it was, they pointed out, Sid McLaughlin of Roney runs 49.51. It's viewed as a good race. This is a personal best, right? It's one of the fastest times in the world this year. They're like, it's a good sign for Sydney. She's improving in this event. She might have what it takes to medal, you know? A thing, Mo... Ran basically the same exact time, 49.57, two years ago, four days after her 19th birthday. The idea that she shouldn't be running this event and she should instead go up to a 1500 where the gold medal is locked down by Faith Kipiagon, who just broke the world record, where a thing Mo probably won't even make the US team next year in the 1500, that that is where she should consider doubling as opposed to the 400 where she's running 49.57 at the age of 19, it's ludicrous to me. And it, if that's actually what ends up happening next year, that she pursues the 1500 and the 800, that to me is just Bobby Kersey. It, seem, it would seem like Bobby Kersey prioritizing Sydney, Sydney McLaughlin Lavroni's interests over a thing Mo. Okay, guys. You literally put my daughter to sleep. Not your finest podcast. But while you were doing that, you almost put me to sleep. So I started scrolling Twitter. I'm going to bring up a topic. I'm not sure I'm allowed to mention this. I'd never seen this, but apparently Michael Johnson tweeted about this and took down his tweet. And I'll throw this to Mr. John, one of the 20% of Americans actually on Twitter. John, have you heard of the enhanced games? I don't want to spend a second discussing this. Well, it's he's he doesn't deserve any attention. Can we please ignore him and go back to a thing, Mo, and the 400, which I, I thought was an interesting discussion, even if it put baby mad to sleep. We're just going to pretend this thing isn't going to happen? I don't give a He's that His promotions are I don't want to talk about it at all. I would don't know what John's talking about. Could someone at least give this guy a tiny bit of publicity and tell me what this is? I do feel like I'm being gaslit, but with some of his terminology, they're trying to put on a, I don't know if it's going to be an Olympics or a track meet for doped athletes, who they call enhanced athletes, and they have all this sort of BS, PC sort of stuff, you know, saying, terminology doped is an unfair term it's colonialist it's like i think these guys just support doping trying to stay young forever i'm not sure what they're all there's some other long-term alternative i feel like john this guy got rich off the peter's teal lawsuit it sounds like but 
I don't understand, John, though. Michael Johnson tweets about it and he needs to take it down because we're I'm opposed to this, but like we can mention it, right? No? He doesn't want to give it attention. It's disingenuous and it's he realized he got caught. He got caught talking about something and just get falling into the trap, is it, which is exactly what you've done and exactly what I'm doing right now. I don't even want to talk, discuss about discuss this topic. Well, then, this is so stupid. What they're going to have a, 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 a track meet for doped athletes? You, you just can't allow that. First of all, it turns the women into men, and then it's, it's dangerous. It would just be who's willing to push themselves hermetically level up to an unhealthy level I, I don't want to talk about it either one other thing i want to say it's pretty disgusting like they have a hall of shame travis tigard the head of us the anti-doping has done so much you know busted lance armstrong that guy should be applauded so there you go mr d'souza you got what you wanted i guess okay forty-nine fifty-one. that makes sydney the fourth fastest woman in the world World leaders, 4898. Here's another thing I shouldn't say, but I will say. The reason why I find men's running to be more interesting than women's running is the top women are such outliers compared to the top men. It's like just not nearly as competitive. Do you realize there's seven women within one second of the world lead in the 400? For the men, there's 33 men within one second of the world lead. Think about the 1500. How many men are within five seconds of the world lead? 50? I I don't know if there's anything to your argument here, Robert, but to act as if you're not interested, in, are you saying you're not interested in the women's 400 this year? This is the, one of the more compelling, exciting no, events I've had I, in recent memory. I am interested in it. There's, by the way, the number is 23 within five seconds of Yaku Hamburg. And so I was exaggerating. No, I just was putting that as an aside. It's something you shouldn't say, but there's just more doubt as to like there's so many more potential medalists on the men's side than they're on the women's side. No, I'm very fascinated by this. And this is why I brought it up. And I, I've said, I wanted the 400 to be the marquee event. I wanted Othane to go for the four and the eight. I wanted Sydney to go for the 400 hurdles and the four. You get um, uh, last year's world champ. I mean, Shawnee Milowebo's yes. gave birth. She's on. She could do the two and the four. You have all these stars from other events clash at the 400 like she says she doesn't want to do the 400 anymore miller webo now you make this like okay everyone's meeting this event we have four huge stars in it so if city's not going to double does she do the 400 hurdles or the 400 i think in the 400 hurdles i know fem cabal is having a good season but sydney mclaughlin I, I think is the still the heavy 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 favorite in that event if this is a year, you know, it's kind of like I think Mo doing the LA scene and getting away from it. If I was Sydney, I think I would get away from the 400 hurdles and do the 400. If you're only doing one, this would be the year to do the 400. It, it, uh, she may not win, but you know, I was trying to think like 49.5 was not super impressive for me. Like the first race, she went out too hard. This race, she went out very conservative. You know, full second slower than she did in the first race, and runs a half second faster. So I think there's more meat on the bone. And I looked up how much did she come down sort of from her first 400 hurdles last year to Worlds. She came down about one full second. So if she comes down one full second from this, she's at 48.5, which is pretty much like the top time that a, that a clean woman can historically run, right? And that's also kind of what I would expect. I mean, she had those 47 high splits, 
add three quarters of a second to it. That's 48.5, 48.7. So that's what I would expect. But the world record talks was just complete nonsense to me. And I think that's been validated. So not I was not impressed by this time. But I think she will get better. I think she could contend for the open four. Be interesting to see which event she chooses. Right. It depends. Does she want to challenge herself or does she want what is we think is close to an automatic gold medal in the 400 hurdles, barring some big time improvement from Femke Ball? I think it would be more exciting for her to do the 400 because if she runs the 400 and she comes close to meddling or she wins it, then that would set the stage for a 400, 400 hurdles double in Paris next year. That's what we would love to see, someone going for double gold. What I would say about this race, I thought it was fine. It wasn't, oh my God, 49.51, but she looked better in the race than she did in Paris. She won it. It was a personal best. And like you said, Robert, under Bobby Kersey, Sydney McLaughlin Lavroni has made significant improvements from the regular season to USA's and then again from USA's to Olympics or Worlds. And I, we've talked about, oh, Kersey, 800, can he coach it? Can he coach the 15? I'm pretty confident he's going to be able to coach her in the 400 pretty darn well. So I expect her to run faster at USA's than she did in New York, and if she chooses the 400 Worlds, I think she'll probably run faster at Worlds than she did at USA's. I trust him and his ability to prepare her to run her best on the biggest stages. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's unreasonable if she could be dipping well below 49 seconds by the end of the season at this event. And we kind of take that for granted. Only 12 women in history have ever broken 49. Most of them dopers. Under 48.5, you've only got Six women, Marita Koch Doper, Jamita Kratulova Doper, Nasser, whereabouts failure, Marie-Jose Parekh of France, never served any drug suspension, 4825, Ukrainian woman, 4827, and then Shawnee Miller-Weibo at 4836. So I don't think, the more I think about it, Sydney's great. She's super fast. I don't think she's 48.3 fast, historically. I think Shawnee Miller Weber would beat her in a straight up 400 if they're both at their peak. Okay, a couple of things, guys. We know neither athlete will be doubling. They've said that. It's also made pretty made apparent that they're almost not allowed to race each other. So I think that means Sydney should do the 400 this year. She needs to make sure she can win the 400 straight up before trying the double. I think that's probably what the direction she goes. Unless somehow next year at the Olympics, they put the 400 meter hurdles first. And then she just gets a clean shot at the back end at the hurdles, but she'd have to do the double at USA's. So who knows? And also somebody used the word clean athlete. Can we use proper terminology, please? I've, I've read notice today that that is not an inclusive term. Please use the term natural athlete. Thank you. John, don't John, don't shake your head like that. Getting uh, brainwashed well then. Every day I'm told what what to what to call people, the proper words for things. They're just taking this to the next level. Thank this guy, you. This guy, oh shit. Should we take scrap this segment? Because he sued Gawker out of business. He might come after us for no reason. Guys, my wife is here now. She said she wants to take a picture. So I'm not being kicked out of the house. 
Thank you. Okay, carry on. All right, let's talk about some of the men's races in New York. I want to talk about the men's 100 because I think that was the most shocking result, but I think we should start with the men's 800. This is Let's Run.com after all. Mid-distance, distance event. A lot of hype going into this one about Will Sumner, the true freshman NCAA champion from Georgia, going up against some of the top 800-meter runners in the country. We also said in our preview, Clayton Murphy was a scratch from this one. We were kind of curious about that because he had a bad race in his last race in Europe. We thought, oh, is is he injured? Is something up? He's actually come out and said he was never intending in racing in New York. He had never confirmed, and he didn't know why he was on the start list. So I'm now less concerned about Clayton Murphy going to the USA's. But a couple takeaways for me. One, Bryce Hopple totally controlled this thing from start to finish. He looked fantastic. He admitted his start to his 2023 outdoor season hadn't been that great, but he runs the season's best of 144.55. Very good sign for him going to USA's. Isaiah Harris, second, 151, so 145.1. Hobbs Kessler closes well for third, 145.80. That's a personal best for him. And I'm sure skyrockets him up Robert's rankings because... He's now got a faster personal best in the 800 than Hobbs, than Yara Neguse, Cooper Tier, or Cole Hawker. And we all know that the only thing that matters when it comes to kicking in a 1500 is your 800 personal best. So Hobbs Kessler clearly now the favorite for USA's. But Will Sumner, the other young phenom, didn't fare quite as well. He's middle of the pack most of the race. Never could really get it going. He's fifth, 146.79. Not a disaster, but he was more than two seconds behind Bryce Hopple. So I said that does sort of hurt his chances of making the U S team, in the 800 at USA's Rojo. What'd you make of this race? I'll jump in, John. I think we gave Will Sumner the 2024 Olympic gold a little early last week, just a slight fall back to earth. And I think the Donovan Brazier comparison to his freshman year was crazy because Donovan flamed out of the first round of USA's. But maybe not. Like, John, this run I thought was pretty poor. I just I just was shocked he wouldn't do better than that. But in the you know lifetime number of PRs he's run, 140, he's probably run one faster than 146 once ever in his life, right? Like, I think that is actually accurate. Yeah, he his PR, he ran one forty six flat in the semis at NCAA's, and that was a personal best. So, I think it's interesting with these NCAA kids. Some of them can just keep rolling the whole summer, and they keep improving. Like we saw it with Clayton Murphy when he won his Olympic medal in twenty sixteen. He had a long season, and he just kept going, kept going, and took it all the way to Rio. Same with Bryce Hopple, twenty nineteen. He starts out winning NCAA's indoors. He gets fourth in the world championship final in October. But other athletes, and I think this particularly applies to you know a freshman, they've been going hard since January or February. It can be difficult to keep that going. And they really focused in on NCAAs, and they got a great result out of it. But it, it can be asking a lot sometimes from these youngsters to keep it going all the way to July potentially to August. And we got to also remember how impressive it was a thing. Mo was actually able to do that as a true freshman. She goes all the way through and wins Olympic gold. So yeah, some, I, I it wouldn't shock me if Will Sumner makes the team, but with some of these other Americans starting to round into form, I mean, Clayton Murphy's been running well, apart from that 
his last race in Europe. Bryce Hopple now on the upward trajectory. Isaiah Harris is running pretty well right now. Isaiah Jewett and Brandon Miller are going to be around. I think it's just going to be tough for Sumner to go through all three rounds and to deliver a great race on the day of the final. He has the talent to do it, but it's been a long season for him. But maybe I'm overreacting just to this one race. Robert, what do you think? Disappointing race for sure. It didn't really shock me. I expected him either to kind of dominate and win this race or disappoint. And I think it is the Donovan Brazier flame out from a few years ago. I mean, I think Mo rolled the table, but I don't know. I mean, the Brazier's proven you don't have to run a lot to be great at the 800, but I think some of these guys are just, I mean, he's really, although I think Mo is the same way, been doing the 400, dabbling in the eight. But this is a one-off race. But I, I'm not ruling him out. We're going to pick the team, right, in the 800. I promised yes. people in the week that was we picked the 1,500-meter team. The, so let's do the 800. Will Sumner leads the U.S. list, 144.26. Hopple, 144.55. Murphy, 144.75. Isaiah Jewett, who was not in this race, 145.10. Isaiah Harris, who was second, 145.11. Cameron Jones, 145.2. Brandon Miller, 145.3. To me, I, I, I've got little doubt in Murphy and, and Hopple. They seem to always make the teams. Although I'm with guess, you on that one, Robert. I feel very good about both of them. Proven championship performers, know how to make it through the rounds. Both have run 144 this year. You know, It's the 800, so you never totally know, but I feel good about them. Two guys who probably won't be there. As we said earlier, Donovan Brazier likely not racing in 2023. He's still recovering from Achilles surgery and follow-up to Achilles surgery he had in February. And then Jota Koech, who made the team last year, has not recorded a finish in 2023. So I don't know what's up with him, but I find it very unlikely he would go from that to being able to make the team. So he's probably out too. That leaves one spot. I guess, Rob, first of all, Weldon, are you with us? Do you have Hopple and Murphy on the team, or do you have one of them missing out? Yes, I put them both on the team. Although, Murphy did run 149 in this last race in France for some reason. After his 144 at the Diamond League. So, maybe, you know, that was the one-off for Sumner. He had a bad race, he'll be ready to go, but if we look at the giving away the two spots to Murphy and Hopple, I think your contenders are the two guys who have made the two other guys who have made recent teams. That's Jewett and Miller, right? Jewett and Harris, you mean? I mean no, he means Jewett and Miller. Huh? Miller made the team last year. Jewett made, Jewett made the team in 2021. Isaiah Harris should be in that Her- conversation as well. He made the team in 2017. I think it's the I think those three are the contenders for the third spot. And I went with Harris partly because he did just beat. Brandon Miller in New York on Saturday. He ran 145-1. Looked pretty good. He was the runner-up at USA Indoors. He's consistently in the mix. I I think it's kind of a toss-up, though. I think they're all fairly similar in abilities. I mean, Isaiah Jewett just ran a 400 PB of 45-29. So he's in pretty good shape as well. I don't know if he's in in his 2021 shape. 
he's probably your third guy, but he's only run, I think, 1-800 this outdoor season. So I'm going with Isaiah Harris, but I think the case can easily be made for any of those three. Wow, a rare error by John. Isaiah Jewett has run four 800s this year. He's un well, not undefeated. He's run three of them. Pepsi relays, Mount Sac relays, Drake relays. Damn it. Well, when I said that, I knew it, I knew it wasn't a hundred percent sure, but I was hoping it was right because I hadn't seen him in an eight hundred recently. And then I go and look it up and I'm like, yep. To in my defense, three of those races were in April, so quite some time ago. But yeah, he ran one forty five one at the LA Grand Prix where he finished behind Clayton Murphy, but he did, I believe I'm talking out of my ass a little here again. I believe he beat Isaiah Harris in that race. Yes, he did. He beat Isaiah Harris and Brandon Miller, though Harris was only three tenths of a second behind him. So yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's one of those three guys, but do you agree with me? It's Harris. Or do you think it's Jewett or Miller? Okay, this is a podcast first. Now, Cece is in the room. I have two kids in here. Cece, say hi. Say it louder. Hi. I'm going with Jewett. I was a little worried because his last 800 was May 27th, but the only race he hasn't won at the 800s is that LA Grand Prix, but he beat the other two guys in that one. And he ran a 400 PB June 3rd. So... Seems a long time still. June third to USA is not to race a full month. That uh, he's raced once. I, assuming he's healthy, I'm picking him. Devin Dixon, I saw ran one forty five nine this week. Remember, he's Devin Dixon, like a long shot. You guys, definite dark horse. Well, then that's a good Budweiser long I'm, shot call right there. I'm worried about the three rounds for him a bit. Have you heard of a guy named Wes Ferguson? No. Look, the team Division is going to be two champ. What one forty five four? That's my Budweiser number two long shot. The team is going to be Murphy, Hopple, and Jewett. Unless Murphy's hurt because of that one forty nine. But the more I think about it, I'll think Moe's in trouble. Brandon Miller's not running quite as well as he was last year. Now he's only run three eight hundreds. Last year he made the team on his sixteenth eight hundred of the year. I'm so sick of people saying you can't race. The great Lou Dizzing, the former Cornell women's coach, I don't think he invented this. I think he heard it from someone else. He said, when you get to your final 800 race of the season, you want it to be your 25th race of the season. And he guided Morgan Eustony quite well using that. She went on to be world number one in the 1500. I'm more interested in what happened behind these guys. 145.8 for Hobbs Kessler, the 1500-meter runner. The guy's already run 332 at 1,500. Also, Cole Hawker ran an 800-meter PB, I think, later that day in Portland, 146 low. And it got me to thinking, like, how amazing is it? And I apologize to any other U.S. 1,500-meter listeners on here, like any fans of Craig Ingalls or is it Eric Holt? Johnny Gregorek, John's favorite. There's a big four in the U.S. in the 1500. Yared, Hobbs Kessler, age 20, 332 this year. Cooper Tier, 23, 332. Yared Goose, American record holder, age 24, 
Cole Hawker, 22. He's got a 331 PB, six in the Olympics. That's the big four. I'm going to petition Max Siegel. I don't like him. I don't like him that he has that job, but he can keep the job for another five years if he only lets those four people run the USA final. Robert, this is one of the stupidest things you've ever said in this podcast. Why is the 1500 awesome? Because sometimes you'll just have random guys come out of nowhere and kick people down. I mean, if this thing goes tactical, are you really telling me there's no chance that Nathan Green, who closed in 51 seconds running extra distance on his last lap of the NCAA final, you're telling me he might not be in contention for that third spot? I forgot about Nathan Green. I was going down the U.S. list. See, John goes by times. I go by talent. I always said at Cornell, I'm not recruiting times. I'm recruiting talent. Nathan Green is a step above everybody else in the country. So he could make it. I forgot about him. But in terms of the big four, it's just it's going to be amazing. Like one of these guys is definitely not going to make the team. And I think it's wonderful. Like we got to teach our kids failure is part of life. You could run an amazing life and still race and still come up short. And the stat that I came up with was three of the four guys have all PR'd already this year. Not just PR, they PR'd at both 800, 1500, and the 3000. That would be Nagus, Kessler, and Tier. Hawker, who had a late start to the season, missed indoors pretty much, just PR'd in the 800, 146, 32 this weekend. His fitness may not be as good because he missed some time, but. He's already run 334. I don't see how he gets dropped. Like the U.S. record at the U.S. champs is 334. So, and now the record, I guess, could go down because these guys are really good and the shoes are good. But Hawker's kick is amazing. He went from 12th to second when he ran that 334. I've got him on the team. I just don't see with his clothes how he doesn't make the team, although I forgot about Nathan Green. But if we're only dealing with these four, uh, I'm just trying to think of the odd man out, and and and, I, and I've had to come up with it, I'm not, and I've got it, and it's kind of depressing to me to say this. Don't leave us waiting. I think it's Cooper Tier, although, yeah, it's Tier. I know he was the U.S. champion last year. I know he wants to prove he can be a 15 meter guy. I kind of want him to be a 15 meter guy. But Jerry Schumacher is a very smart guy. He says, you're really a 5,000 guy. And it gets down to the thing. I really even think Jakob Ingebrigtsen is a 5,000 guy. But he's good enough to stay in the 1,500 win the Olympic gold. I think Tier, he he needs a fast pace. He's not a super closer. Like He's going to do the work, and these guys are going to sit on him, and I'll kick him. Tier has the slowest 1,500-meter PB and the slowest 800-meter PB. Now, it's definitely to me Tier or Kessler, but my team is Nagus, and it wouldn't shock me if Kessler wins it. I mean, excuse me, if, if Hawker wins it. Hawker, Nagus, and Kessler. I'm a little bit unconfident in Kessler because I haven't really seen him race a lot. Can he throw down? I didn't get to watch him in the NCAA system. And he's never even made a U.S. final before. Robert, I'm here to bring the facts. This is my role on the podcast. And I know you don't think Kubatier is a good closer because he has a 147 PB. You say I, you're all about the talent, but did you watch the U.S. final last year? Do you remember what happened? 
winning time in that race, 3.45. Do you know who won that race? Kupatia. Do you know who his last lap was? 51.9. The guy's got some speed. I mean, do I think he, like, if, the, if you put all of these guys in a 400, I think I'd probably pick Kupatia lost, but he can close in a 1500. Like last year, we were, well, that was all the question. Oh, Kupatia, he's run fast, but can he handle a championship final? Well, he did. And he's got that experience under his belt. I think he's going to be in the mix. That said, I mean, I could easily see him getting outrun by these guys. They are that good. But I, I think he's going to be in that conversation. I do see it as being those four guys. But I, I also think if things get... If if this is another 345 race, you're opening the door to someone like Nathan Green, maybe even someone like Joe Wascom. I mean, it's, it's nuts this year. We've had 11 Americans have run 335 or faster in the 1500. So we've had a lot of fast races, but depth of talents a lot better than it was a year ago that said how do i break this thing down yard Nagoose has been the class of the milers this year in 2023 i don't think it's impossible he doesn't make the team but i think it's quite un- unlikely i think he's your winner like you i <sighs> cole hawk it was just so good in 2021 his kick was so, so on point we saw that all I wanted to see was something resembling that this year, and we got it at the Portland Track Festival. So if he's still healthy, I mean, he ran 3.34, closing in, what, a 55 low when he thought he was in 3.39 shape. So as long as he has made some a little progress from that, I feel pretty good about his chances. Kubatia was right behind Hobbs Kessler, but... He's got the championship experience. It's really hard for me to pick someone because these guys are all fantastic athletes. They're all running well this year. It pains me to say this because he's done all the right things. He's done exactly what you would want. He's run 800 PB. He's just run 145. But I think I'm leaving Kessler off the team just because he hasn't made a team before. All these guys have gotten it done in US finals. They've made the team. Two of them are US champions. One of them is a multi-time NCAA champion, if you count the DMR. And Hobbs Kessler has never run an NCAA final. He's never run a USA final. In a race that's this even, I think that might be the deal breaker for me, is how is he going to respond in a championship environment that he's never been in before? Maybe I should pick Tier over him. Because I feel like when Kessler beat him in, in that race in LA, it was kind of like, I mean, he, I know they were going all that. It looked like to me, Tier didn't push all the way to the line. He kind of was just tired and let up. And maybe he's in a really deep training block under Jerry's training and he's going to be fresher here. But did you say 51 9 last year in a 345 race? Yes. And you're sure that was the split? I literally just looked it up. Yes. Because you, do you know what the close was at NCAs this year? It was 51-9 in a 3.42 race. I know that because I basically predicted it before it happened. So Right. Yes. So that's why Nathan Green is definitely a factor. Anybody else, though, can just sit this one out. But okay. if, if, if I'm – one thing. If, if, if I was these guys – and we have a poll up on the homepage. Who won't make the team? 2% say – 3% now say Yared Goose. 22% say Cole Hawker. And then it's almost even between Tier and Hawker. 36% say Tier, 39% say Kessler. And John, you and I talked about this. You know, it's not like what percentage of the chances they make it, but this is people picking one person. But 
the odds that Nagoose doesn't make it earlier was 2%. I'm like, the odds are significantly higher than that. More than one out of 50 times, I think he doesn't make it as good as his season's been. Like, you could fall or whatever. I still think it's higher than 3% that he doesn't make it. Do I want to change my pick? Kessler, it's kind of weird. Like, he reminds me, just because I haven't seen him race a lot, he doesn't have the NCAA experience. It, it's like Sumner. I, I just don't know what I'm going to get. But it's like, it also reminds me a little bit of Alan Webb. Like, he didn't have that experience back in the day. But it's the opposite of Alan Webb in the sense of he's found a coach and he's stuck with it. Ron Warhurst. But I'm kind of feeling like Kessler's going to make the breakout. I don't know, though. I think Tier wants it bad. I'm starting to second guess myself. All Welcome, these guys ahead. want it, Robert. Come on, that doesn't have anything well, to do with it. Well, yeah. I thought Robert said it had nothing to do with wanting it. It's just about natural talent. That's all he says. It's just about coaching up the talent. But, okay. I think we all agree. Right now, Hawker and the Goose's ceiling is higher. So I think that's why they're heading this little Hawker. Pool, I'm, I mean... Hobbs Kessler's ceiling is ridiculous. I'm not. I think we. I don't know, the ceiling man. We've seen. I'm not saying two years from now or one year from now or maybe in August, but if I said who can run under three thirty in the U.S. right now, I think we would say the better chance is Cocker than Kessler. I'm not sure about that. Maybe. Kessler's been healthy all year. Okay, but John's. Throwing all these accolades at Cooper Tier, this 51 9 in a very slow race. Who cares? You guys know who second place was last year at USA's? John Davis. Or third place, Josh Thompson, Eric Holt. He beat nobody last year, except I've just discovered the most shocking thing ever. Yeah, Yari Nagoose was 11th place in that race. <laughs> Yari Nagoose was 11th at USA's last year? Nathan Ritz and I, and you should retire right now. My God, coach of the year. Um, no, come on, come on. Right. Let's give the context that though. He had been injured that spring. Like he just wasn't ready to run two races in three days. And wasn't and Ritzenheim not coaching him yet? He's listed as a member of the On Athletics Club. That was his first meet for the OAC. All right. Weldon, how do you see this breaking down? Who's your odd man out? Who goes home devastated? I'm changing. Hobbs Kessler. Wow. There's, John, I think there's something to be said having been in these races before, the experience being positioned in the right place. I don't think of Kessler having much of a kick. I think, a, I mean, Tier having much of a kick, but maybe you're showing me that's wrong. I feel like he needs a fast race. Jerry's pretty good at peaking these guys. Kessler's never made a final before. It's just a different ball game. But that's why they run the race, guys. Yeah, no, no, this is this is going to be fantastic. I'm so happy it's happening. And you know what's going to be the most interesting storyline if it happens? Kubatia missing the team and then coming back in that loaded 5,000 and making that team. How crazy would that be? That's what I think is going to happen. Who do you think wants a fast pace? See, I, I, I'm, the more I think about it, I think Nagus and these guys may just want to make it. Maybe he and Tier just agree to alternate laps or something. I mean, if I'm Yard and Goose, I absolutely want a fast race. He's run 329-0. I don't think any of the other guys can do that right now. I know, but maybe you go to you go to Tier and you say, look, you take the first 600. I promise you that I will take it over from there. 
And then if it's fast, like Nagus doesn't have to worry about getting stomped on from behind or anything, switching gears, getting tripped. I think Kessel would take that. And then Hawker, because he's been injured, he's going to have to, you know, track him down from behind. Yeah, Hawk is probably the one who wants a fast race. We, we could have a big five that. if Nathan Green gets up there. Everybody else. So I, I was just trying to make a hot take about everyone else is terrible because they're not terrible. There's a lot of 334 runners, but 334 just I, – I'm, I'm, I was looking at the list. I'm like, I'm not even paying attention to these guys. So, all right. We said we, we've, we've picked the men's 8 and 1,500-meter teams. We've got to get to this Norv Nordas interview, but we need to pick the women's 800 and 1,500-meter teams. All thing Mo is on the team for me. Oh really? The the woman who has a buy and who isn't even running the eight hundred at USA. So you're picking. Oh, so we have team. to pick top four. Okay, fair enough. I mean, she's not. She won't be in the top four in the eight hundred at USA. She's not running the eight hundred at USA. By the way, if she doesn't run USA, I do think her world championship spot should be stripped. I, I don't want to hear any crap about how she's injured. She's not feeling it. The whole idea of the buy, it's dumb. Like if someone's not in shape a month out from Worlds or six weeks out from Worlds. I think it's a month out actually maybe five weeks they're not going to be a factor at worlds so i i don't want that all right well let's talk the 800 then on the women's side uh we know a thing mo she said she wasn't 100 sure but look the entry she's listed in the entries in the 1500 she's not entering the 800 so she's going to do the eight sorry she's going to do the 15 that leaves us with rj wilson sage her Klecka. Michaela Rose, the NCAA champion from LSU. Allie Wilson, Charlene Lipsy, Nia Aikens, Brenna Dietra. Those are the women who have broken two minutes this year. And then we cannot ignore Raven Rogers, who is a two-time global medalist. So the way I see this breaking down, Ajay Wilson, look, running 207 in New York, two weeks out from USA's, huge red flag. But afterwards, she just said, yeah, it was kind of just a bad day for me. It's still weird to me because RJ Wilson generally doesn't have bad days. She's been one of the most consistent performers on the planet over the last decade. But when she says it was a bad day, I'll be ready for USA's, given that she's already won 158-1 this season, I tend to trust her on that. I think she'll be on the team. Raven Rogers has not had an encouraging 2023 season. She got beat by Nia Aikens earlier this year. She was well off the pace in the Paris Diamond League, 10th place in that race. But one thing Robert loves is when these 800 women, speed-oriented 800 women, step up to the 1500 and run a PB. And I will say I was a little encouraged. She ran 411 PB in Portland last weekend in the 1500. She's just, at her best, she's a lot better than most of the other women in this field. So... I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt. I think she's earned the benefit of the doubt. I'm taking her. And I think the fourth, the third spot is really open. Nia Aikens has been running really well this year. Sage Hodeklecka has run 159.0. Michaela Rose has run 159.0. Was very impressive in the collegiate season. I think I'm going to do the same thing as I did in the men's side. I'm going with the Brooks Beast for that third spot. I, I like the way Nia Aikens has been running. She's run... Sub two, two times this year and won both of those races. She was the U.S. indoor champion. 
I'm going with the thing. Mo, RJ Wilson, Raven Rogers, and Nia Akins as my four people on the team. The Union Athletic Club is having a bad year. Does it just totally unravel here with Raven Rogers, or does she figure out a way to make it? I'm going with Ajay Wilson, Michaela Rose, and Raven Rogers. I really like Michaela Rose. I think she could kind of be the future for the U.S. besides Althing Mo. I kind of feel like she's going to honestly they'll lead it and get tie up and get passed. But I, I, th- I feel like she's – all these other women have already – I think she's capable of you know, 158 low. So, yeah, that's my three. Weldon has stepped out, so we won't hear his three. All right, turning to the women's 1500. Corey McGee leads the U.S. list at 45.61. That came in a 418 mile. Justin Andrews and Sinclair Johnson run four flat points, 77. Sinclair ran that this weekend in a race where second place had run was 410. Sinclair's on the team. She's make, winning for me. Nikki Hiltz has been a ra- been running amazing all season. Hiltz beat Michaela Rose in 800 earlier this year. Emily McKay has also run. McKay has run 401. Helen Schlachtenhofen, former Dartmouth runner, 401. Eddie Wiley, the NAIA star, 403 with a big close. I really think those are the people that could make it. I've got Sinclair winning, John. Corey McGee, she just seems to be getting better every race. Finally got under the four-minute equivalent, although she officially hasn't done it. I've got her on there. And then Hilt. Joseph Andrews. It's not like she's running poorly. I mean, in a pure 1500, she's four flat point seven seven, which is basically the U.S. lead, co-U.S. lead for actual 1500 meter races. But I think Walden feels the same way as me. I kind of feel like she started off the season well. And we thought, oh, she's going to be making a huge jump this year from where she was in the past because she's joined a big training group, the OAC. She's training in the altitude for the first time. And yet, I'm kind of disappointed in her results. And I have sort of memories of 2021 when she underperformed at the trials in my head. Yeah, I don't think that's an unfair assessment, Robert, given how well all her other training partners have been running, or at least the men's side. You know, in the 1500, they've all been having outstanding seasons. But I think, yeah, you look at the most recent result, that mile in Paris, Corey McGee and Nikki Hiltz, sorry, in Oslo, Corey McGee and Nikki Hiltz both ran 418. Josette Andrews was 421, more than three seconds back. So to me, there is a gap between them and her at the moment. Like you said, Sinclair Johnson took a while to get going, sort of hinted that something may have been up early this year, but that dominant four flat, tells me she's pretty much ready to roll. You didn't mention Heather McLean, the 2021 Olympian. She had barely been racing. She hadn't raced at all outdoors until last weekend. She just opened up in the 800 and 201. I think it's a big ask to go from that to now making the team. We saw last year she got a bit of a... She had COVID for a bunch last year and she didn't run her best at USA's and then came on strong late, but I think with how competitive the spots are, it's going to be a challenge for her. 
So I see it the same way. I think Johnson is on the team. I think Corey McGee has made the loss two teams and has been running very well. I think she's on there. And I think Nikki Hiltz is on there because all of their races have been great. They've run low 159, 418 in Oslo, made the team in 2019. So I feel pretty good about Nikki Hiltz's chances. I think the wild card here is Emily McKay. And I think maybe it's not even fair to call her a wild card given that she is fourth in the US right now with her 401. But this could be the new... Uh, I mean, we've seen a similar pattern, right? Mark Coogan and New Balance Boston, they get Ellie St. Pierre from a small school in the Northeast, turns into someone who's winning US titles, making teams. Heather McLean, small school in the Northeast, maybe a little overlooked. Ellie St. Pierre was an NCAA champion in college. Heather McLean was not. Suddenly she's on the Olympic team. She's winning a US indoor title. Emily McKay, same sort of progression. She's at Binghamton, joins that team, does some altitude training and flag stuff. Suddenly she's down to 401. She's winning races. Would not shock me at all if she runs her way onto the team. So Andrews is going to be in that conversation. But like you said, I just, the other women have been running a little better than her in some of these races. And then Addie Wiley, humongous talent, but she's only 19 years old. I think she's a year or two away from actually making this team. The one huge wild card here is a thing, Mo. I know she really doesn't have much of a history in the 1500 as a professional or collegian. I mean, she hasn't run a 1500 as a pro at all, but she's run 155 in the 800. She's the reigning 800 meter world champion. So I think we should at least mention that she's in this event, but I think two things for me, one, I'm, she has the skill set of a 400, 800 runner 49. When you run 49, 57 in the 400, there's very little track record in human history of anyone also being able to be a good 1500 meter runner with that personal best. It's basically Casta Semenya and Casta Semenya was dealing with male levels of testosterone. So I think it's going to be a challenge. I'm also not convinced. I, I wouldn't be surprised even if the thing Mo makes the final at USA's if she just decides I don't need to run the final. I have the buy. I've fulfilled my obligation of running one round of the 1500. So she might not even run the final of this race, even if she makes it. And I don't think it's a given that she makes the final. So do you think a thing Mo could do anything in this event, Robert? In terms of challenge for the team, absolutely not. She's not beating five or six girls that have run 401. Like maybe she's a 405 girl, but as you said it best, there's no elite male or female. There's no one with an elite 400 meter speed. That's also been great at the 1500. Like maybe the best John was trying I asked John Kellogg, like who's the great who's the fastest four hundred meter elite male in history? He's like he was debating like Steve Ovet, he thought maybe hand time yeah, forty five seven. Yeah, and, that was the one that I thought of. To me, the wild card is Wiley. But I think so we have the same team. Joseph Joe Ian Hiltz. Yes, we do. And Andrews is gonna be the Cooper tier. She's gonna make the team in the five thousand. Although I haven't really gone through the 5,000 in my head on the men's side to see if Cheer makes it. 
Well, wait, are you, you think Kubatia is going to make the team in the 5K against Kincaid, Fisher, Chalimo, Noor, and Klecker? I haven't gone that far. I haven't, I haven't made my official picks, but... That'll be for next week's show. But I, I was saying it would be a cool storyline because that's also an incredibly loaded event. You got a bunch of sub-13 guys. And if Kupatia crashes the party and makes it, I think you'd be having some really good guys not making the Worlds. Cheer didn't impress me when he ran that 13-12, although he did win it. Who did he beat when he won the NCAA title on the five? A guy by the name of Luis Grialva, who turned out to be a pretty good runner in the professional level. So I'm just not ruling it out. Okay. Before we get to our Nava Nordas interview, which is worth sticking around for people, it's one of the more interesting ones we've done. There are a couple of things I wanted to address. Are we just going to totally ignore Zarnell Hughes' 983, Robert? I thought this was one of the most unlikely performances of the year, though I did some digging into it, and I saw he'd run... This was with a friendly wind, and he'd also run 10 flat, but that was into a point nine headwind, so... You know, it's it wasn't a, as massive a breakthrough as it might seem, but it was still pretty significant. He dropped his PB by eight hundredths. And he also said afterwards that he hasn't even started speed work. Yeah. I thought only distance runners said that. I was I, I love this race. Like the sure shock on his face. I mean, this is a guy that's not exactly a, a spring chicken at age. 27. Twenty-seven, as John said. It was just amazing. And his last fifty was just so fast. And I was watching the broadcast, like they weren't focused on him, obviously, before the start. But a good job by the announcers. I can't remember if I was watching the international feed or the NBC feed for realizing, my God, this guy's having the race of his life. So it was cool. It shows you that wins matters. Your research there, I'm like, oh, it's not that big of a PR if you factor in the wind. But that gets me to an uh, – it was just amazing. I, I love it when the athletes surprise themselves. But – Well, that puts him in the medal contention for Worlds this year, right, Robert? Because I'm looking at the 100. I mean, we'll talk about the men's 100, I'm guessing, next week on the podcast, the USA's. Fred Curley's not running the 100 in the men's side. And I, I think the U.S. totals – I guess I would go with – sorry, the U.S. title. I guess I would go with Noah Lyles. But there haven't been that many guys really blowing me away in the 100 this year. This is a breakout race for Zonal Hughes, but among Amer- – Keen Blake has run some pretty good races as well. He won in L.A. He ran 9.93 here. But Christian Coleman was only third in 10.02, and I was thinking he might be one of the guys in contention for the team. Marvin Bracey has had some bad races. He has run 9.93. But Bromel, what has Bromel done this spring? I'm looking at the U.S. leaders. Has he even run? His PB from his season's best is 10.09. So could we see like Cravant Charleston? Could we see one of the NCAA guys like Courtney Lindsay, the NCAA champ, make the team? I think that 100 at USA's with no Curly is wide open for who makes that, that team right now. And but, considering they went one, two, three at Worlds last year, I think that also means the podium is pretty open at Worlds. For me, this puts Hughes in gold medal contention. I almost said medal contention. I'm like, gold medal contention. 
in terms of the sprints, one thing I want to get out there is I know Noah Lyles gets all the TV time and he's wearing his swag and doing a walk into the stadium. By the way, did you see those Ethiopian guys? Kajelcha didn't run the Ethiopian 10,000 trials. He was in Paris doing a, like a fashion show, like as a male model. Looked pretty, pretty, what do you call it, John? His drip looked pretty, pretty, pretty sweet. I didn't know you knew the word drip, Robert. I'm impressed. You are, you are really 39 years old, aren't you? Thank you, John. But I go back and forth on Noah Lyles. Occasionally he's looked okay in the 100 for me, but he lost to a high schooler, so I rolled out the 100. I'm going to state it right now, June 27th. He's not winning the 200. At Worlds? No, Arian Knighton's going to beat him. I'm very impressed by Arian Knighton. This race by Hughes show you the conditions matter. Knighton's been running these races in Europe where it's not really super warm. It's not humid. There's not a big tailwind. Lyles, he loses to a high scorer. Now he runs 1983. They, they, and Lewis Johnson was like, what a perfect day. Your mom's here, blah, blah. Even Lyles like, it wasn't perfect. Why? Because last year in this meet, he ran 1961. So I'm seeing no indication that he's better than he was last year. I think Knighton is slowly getting back to that 1949 shape. So there you heard it first. Arian Knighton to beat Noah Lyles. Well, Robert, I, I was surprised that Lyles didn't run faster because he said the day before, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I think after tomorrow, you're not going to have to worry about me in the 200. You know, he, see, he was suggesting he was going to drop a bomb in 19.8. It's, it's fine, but we've seen plenty of 19.8s from Noah Lyles. He did run 19.6.7 in Kingston on June 3rd. He is still the world leader, but... I do think you have a point about Arian Knighton. Arian Knighton ran 19.77 in Oslo, which is not known as a fast 200-meter track. So that was super impressive. I think we're in for another good battle for them in the 200. But I'm telling you, if I had to pick one guy to win the 100 at USA's right now, I think I am picking Lyles. He won in Paris, and he has won the US title before. I would call him the slight favorite in the 100 at USA's, but I really think it's a very open event. Now, what do you think about this? Lyles has sent out a tweet saying, calling all athletes and media going to USA Championships, we will be doing a walk. Meaning, like how the NFL players walk down the basement in their suits and whatnot. He's wearing a green Adidas shirt that appeared to be cut, have holes cut into it. And I can't decide if this is the greatest thing ever or the dumbest thing ever. Because on the one hand, we've been hearing last week, we talked about it, I think, on the Friday 15 bonus podcast. There's a lot of athletes on Twitter vocal that we should not be going to Eugene. It's too expensive to go to Eugene. It costs an extra probably $500 for an athlete to go to Eugene than it would somewhere else. Hotels are more expensive. Rental cars are more expensive. Flights. So athletes don't have a lot of money. But now we're expecting them to buy a $3,000 suit, $2,000 handbag, $300 pair of shades to walk into the track or only the stars going to do this. Like John, you, you follow the NFL better than me. I always see Tom Brady walking into the stadium in his suit or whatever it is. But does like the second, does the backup wide receiver do that? Or do they just show Brady and then everybody else runs in in their sweatpants? Well, all of them have to enter the stadium and I don't know what the backup wide receiver is wearing because they never show him. This is the only people they show on these walk-ins are like the few biggest stars. So as long as they do it, I don't really 
my, the other other people don't need to buy some fancy sh- suit or anything because you're not going to be on the broadcast unless you're wearing something truly outrageous. But I'm all for this. We always talk about wanting to make the sport more popular. Noah Lyles is one of the big stars trying to do that. He races a bunch. He has a YouTube channel he's trying to promote. He does this walk-in thing, which has been shown on the broadcast, which I quite enjoy. I'm usually not that big a fan of the NBA walk-ins, but seeing Lyles do it, maybe it's just because I like track more. I've enjoyed seeing what he's going to do, and I think it would be great if more athletes do it. So I'm totally on board with the walk-in idea. All right, Robert, very quickly, should we talk about Lausanne? That's the next Diamond League. It's on Friday. Are we going to do a post-Lausanne show? This is a little underwhelming, some of the fields, compared to the typical Diamond League. We've been spoiled with a lot of good Diamond Leagues, but now we're close to national championships, and many Americans will not be running at this meet. Do we still want to go live afterwards and give our hot takes? Yes. The key to success on the internet is consistency. I think we should go live right when it runs. We used to say 4.10. Maybe we should do it right at 4. We don't need to preview it. Come to the show. Well, well, give them two big events, John. Yeah, so one of them is the men's 5K. I'm pitching this as Ethiopia versus Uganda. You've got Selamon Barega and Berahu Aragawi, who just went 1-2 at the Ethiopian 10K trials last week in Spain. Aragawi actually won that race. I was surprised. Barega was with him at the bell. Barega is known as the kicker. I was watching the final lap. I kind of think maybe Barega wasn't even worried about winning. He knew he was on the team. He's the Olympic champion. At that point, he was well clear of third. So they'll battle in this one. Telehun Bekele, who's run 1246 earlier this year, he's in there. Kumagama, who I believe is Lamecha Goma's brother, is also running. Muta Idris, former world champion. But the other two big names here are Joshua Cheptegei, the reigning Olympic champion, and Jacob Kiplimo, who almost won the 5,000 in Oslo. Oh, Kai Robinson, the NCAA champion from Stanford, is making his Diamond League debut. So I'm excited for this. Borrega, Aragawi, Kiplimo, and Cheptegei, that's a fun matchup. This is an amazing 5,000. Oh, my God. Kai Robinson? I kind of wanted Stanford to win cross, but if he runs like 1255, is he really going to come back? Robert, you, he's not in 1255 shape. Well, then what, how is he going to run in this race? Well, he's going to finish a little further back. It's all right. Not everyone's going to be right with the leaders, but I mean, do you, do you, I guess this is my question to you. What does Kai Robinson do? Assuming it's good conditions, quick race. I mean, if the leaders are going out in 1250s, I'm not sure if he's with them. What do you think he's capable of? Sub 13. I mean, his PR is 1311. He ran that at BU in December. I, yeah, I think he could run 13-0. Sub 13 for a college. I mean, no collegiate. Has anyone ever done that after a collegiate season? Lawi Lalang, I believe, ran 13 flat in the summer of 2013. Without the super shoes, that'd be like a 1250. Right. I guess I wouldn't be. I mean, it wouldn't be the craziest thing that's ever happened, but that's really, really fast, even for a guy as good as Kai Robertson. I could see a 13 0, but yeah, 1250s is going to be tough, especially with those top guys. I mean, maybe running away from. I don't know. Anyway, that'll be worth watching. Then we've got men's 1500, Jakob Ingebrigtsen, 
You all know who he is. Lamecha Gurma is in this one. That's going to be fun. We wanted to see Robert wanted to see him clash in the three k and go after Daniel Komen's world record. We're not going to get that. And fifteen hundred, you obviously have to get the edge to Ingebrigtsen, but we know Gurma's in great shape, so that'll be fun to watch. Josh Kerr is also in there. I don't know if there's and Neil Gawley uh, from Great Britain as well. So. What do you think Goma can do, Robert? His PB is 333. You think he could get under 330? I mean, he ran 724 in Doha and 723 indoors. I think he's got a pretty good shot at 329. I agree. And I know that Jared Nagus is an American, born and raised, but his family is from Ethiopia. And I think he proves that Ethiopia should have better middle distance runners than they, than they do. I mean, we got the one guy that wins world indoors every year, but can never make it outdoors. Samuel Tafera. But I remember talking to Rich Kanaw, the head of the Atlantic Track Club, back when he was an agent for Mark. He was assistant agent for Mark Wetmore. He's like, I just don't think they're really used to coaching fifteen hundred meter guys over there because you know, remember Ethiopia used to suck at the steeple. Now they're pretty damn good at that. So I, I think maybe the coaching is getting better. They can handle more events. It's it'll be fun. Then there's another diamond league on Sunday in Stockholm. Well, the one thing I was the one other event I would say worth watching is the 800 on the women's side in Lausanne. Uh, Keely Hodgkinson and Mary Marat. I know you've said it's Hodgkinson and Mo all the way, Robert, but Mary Marat did beat Keely Hodgkinson in the Commonwealth Games last year. One of the craziest 800s I've ever seen. She's run 158 a couple times. She won in Rabat. I expect Hodgkinson to beat her, but you know she's a medalist last year, so I'll be interested to see if there is a gap between Hodgkinson and Marar and how big it is. Well, I'm really interested to see how Keeley does. All right, we've gone on way too long because we've got an amazing interview. It's like 50 minutes, but our supporters club members have already listened to it because we gave it to them early so they could break up their week earlier. Narv Nordas, kick-ass interview. John, you know Jakob's going to listen to this. He's seen us on TV before. Hi, Jakob. Hope you enjoy it. Hope you want to come on the show. Email John, you know, email podcast at letsrun.com so we can book you. All right, here he is, Navanodas. Our guest today is Navanodas, the 24-year-old Norwegian who is one of the world's most improved runners in 2023. He began the year with a personal best of 336 in the 1500, but he's run PBs in all four of his outdoor 1500s so far this season. 335 in Karlsruhe, 334 in Ortegem, 332 in Paris, and most recently 329.47 at the Bislett Games in Oslo on June 15th, where he moved to number 29 on the world all-time list, and number two on the all-time Norwegian list behind only Jakob Ingebrigs and Nava, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. That sounds quite insane, that progression, but uh, yeah, what should I say? Yeah, I mean, that's, you've been the talk of uh, of Let's Run. If you, you know, there's been threads on you. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of fast 1500s in that race, but people are very interested because of the improvement. You don't usually see that much in one season. What has the last month been like for you? Could you have ever imagined you would have improved this much this quickly? No, 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 not at all. I remember going into the season, I said, uh, 
The main goal is to hit the world standards, which is uh, 34.2, and then maybe, just maybe, back around 32 high, 33 low. That was the dream goal going into the season, because my PB uh, were, as you said, 36. And then I just ran 34, 35, and then I started uh, believing that maybe 32 was possible this season. And when I hit 32 in Paris, I realized this is not a top race. I can run faster because if you get people uh, on your side the last, last lap and the last 300 to push you onto the finish line, maybe I can run even faster. And I think thought I also could uh, open up a quite bit faster than I did in Paris. And it turned out it was possible to run faster, but not 29. I did not see that one coming. Yeah. I mean, when you go to Oslo... Uh, for the Bizlight Games, what was your race plan? What was your goal going into that race? The race plan was just to stick to the pack because I knew the pacemakers were set to run around 151 through 800, which was the previous meet record. So I just uh, wanted to stay onto the pack a bit behind, but not all the way far back. And just try to keep up when Jacob uh, was going to push the pace the last lap, which he, which he did though. But still... Uh, it wasn't a perfect race in Oslo as well because uh, I had uh, there was a gap between the main field and our group and I had to try to reach them and using maybe 600 meters to do so. And when I reached the main group, then uh, there was only 400 meters to go. And then I couldn't surpass as many people as I wanted to. Yeah, I looked it up. Your last lap was 54.3 seconds, which was the fastest in the entire race. So... Were you surprised at all how fast you were able to close, how much you still had left, even though you were running you know, personal best pace? Oh, yeah, definitely. I did not see that one coming as well. And I didn't really know how fast we were running until I looked at the finish. Uh, after the finish line, I looked at the screen, screen, and then the time said 3.29. And also the last lap, I did not see that one coming because I know I can finish 54 in a tactical race, but not uh, 3.30 pace. That was quite a shocker, to be honest. Yeah. What's it like being in that race? You're going up on home soil. Jakob, you know, he's one of the biggest stars in Norway. He's the headliner. But you've also got almost all of the world's best milers in this race. And you're battling it out with most of them in the home straight in front of your home fans. Like, what is that like to be in that race? Yeah, I mean, the atmosphere in, in Oslo and Bislett Stadium is just insane when you're Norwegian because everyone is cheering on you every single lap. And every time you're going down the home stretch, you can just hear the crowd cheering on you. So it's obviously just being in Bislett in a race like that is obviously a very huge achievement just to be a part of it. And as well, I think it's the, the race with most people under 3.30 in a single race. And the only race that could compare, I think, is the Monaco race back in 2015. Uh, but that was only seven people. And I remember that race back in eight years ago, and I thought it was insane. But now this race is the history, and I've been a part of it. So that's, uh, that's big. Yeah, normally if you run 329.47, you're finishing first or second in a race. It's, it's not normal that it gets you eighth place, but I imagine you're still pretty happy with the time. Oh, yeah, definitely. It was. I would say it's better than winning. Uh, running 29 and uh, becoming 8th place is it's much bigger than running 32 and winning in Paris, for sure. It was mm -hmm. biggest night of my career, by far, by a mile. So how has that result changed your goals for the season? And how much more do you think you can keep improving? I don't think uh, Bislett was a... 
perfect race as well as I stated because um, I had to tighten the gap between me and the and the field, and as well I got a bit blocked on the last home stretch. But uh, difficult to say. But uh, when you're running 29, everything can happen in World Championships, and if you can finish quite fast in the race uh, that is already going fast, then you have a quite good shot at the good placement in the in the worlds. But obviously you have to go through the rounds, the semifinals, reach the final. But once you reach the final, I think everything can happen besides winning because I think uh, Jacob is going to do that because he's a bit too strong at the moment. See, I was going to ask about that. Uh, but yeah, obviously he's been very hard to beat on the Diamond League circuit in the 1500 meters. But your rate of improvement, I mean, if you're going to run two second PRs every race, pretty soon you'll have the world record. But you, you oh, still yeah. think <laughs> he's beyond you for this season? I think so. And basically, just based on the two mile, which you ran, and also the 5K ability, I think uh, he's too good on the longer events. But uh, in the last lap in the tactical race, I think I can beat him. But uh, I don't think he's going to let that happen in the world. So we'll see. Yeah. So the question, I think, everyone who's listening wants to know, why have you improved so much in 2023? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, and the answer should be, oh, I changed my training and I've done everything different. But the, the boring answer is I've just done the exact same thing as last year and the year before that. I've kept injury-free for the last five years. Not a single injury, not a single niggle. I've just been being able to build every single year going from, let's say, around... Yeah, you're doing miles in America, so I can put the mileage in miles. I think I'm, I was running maybe 115 miles last year, every single week. This year, I've increased it to maybe 120 to 125 in most weeks during the winter. And I've just been building on a, on a good base, basically. And I've been doing double thresholds almost every single Tuesday and Thursday from uh, 2016, so seven years of that. So you just have to be extremely patient and it's not like the program we're doing is going to give you results very quickly. You just have to be patient. And when the results are coming, then it's going fast, going from 36 to 29. You just have to wait until that day or that month, I would say. And we were talking before the show, you're saying you run twice a day, every day. And I was telling you, oh, that reminds me of Haile Gabriel Selassie. He said he would run twice a day, every day, except for Christmas, and he'd only run once a day. And then you told me, why not train twice a day on Christmas as well? So, like, where does that come from? Uh, why do you run twice a day every single day? Because it's a routine. I mean, that's the life I'm living right now. So I don't care if it's Christmas. If the program states it's the Thursday, it's a double threshold. And if it's Christmas, so what? You gotta do your double threshold anyhow. So the dinner just have to wait on you on, in the evening. So that's pretty much it. I mean, you can't uh, change the program due to celebrations like christmas for instance well that's dedication for sure um i saw an interview with your coach gerd ingebrigtsen after you ran 332 in paris he was saying you used to be running some half marathons if you look at your track you know your, your prs uh in tillis de Paya, the track database i see a 13 15 5k a 2804 10k a 64.57 half marathon. He said, you know, it's only maybe this year that you really started focusing on the 1500. Is that true? Like, how did you, what events were you focusing on before this year? Yeah, that's true. So when you're saying my PB was 36 last year, I really didn't 
get the chance to ever run a fast race because 36 was the first race of the season and was a tactical race. And then I ran 5Ks, 3Ks and so forth. And I just really burnt out in the end of the season. I really never got the opportunity to run a fast 1500. So it wasn't really the PB, I should say, because I think I was able to run 33 last year, but I never did it. So the PB was what it was. And it's also correct that I started as a half marathon runner when I joined the group back in 2014. That was the main goal, just running half marathons local, maybe going abroad just to run longer distances because I said to him, I'm not fast enough. I'm not talented enough. I have to run long distances because that's the only thing talentless people can do, really. Yeah. And when and why did you make the decision to start focusing on the 1500? This year, maybe half a half year ago. And why did you, why did you suddenly decide that was what you wanted to focus on? Because I've run uh, the 5K in the Olympics 2021 and in the Worlds in Eugene last year as well. And to be honest, I thought it was a bit too warm to run a 5K. So I thought maybe yeah, 1500 sounds a bit more, uh, yeah, better to run when it's warm and humid as it is in the summers everywhere you're competing in the big championships. I've also heard you say you, you joke. Well, you said it about a minute ago, but I've also seen in other interviews you've referred to yourself as a talentless runner. Do you still believe that after running three twenty nine? I'm not so sure anymore, to be honest, because uh, three twenty nine. I've always uh, looked at the running sub three thirty. You have to have some sort of talent, but I'm not sure. I think I've been doing the best training possible, but still. I'm not sure if everyone can run 329, but I think more than 29 people can run faster than me if they would have done the exact same things as I've done the past couple of years, to be honest. But maybe some tiny, tiny bit of talent in the mix. <laughs> yeah, maybe just a little bit. Um, it's interesting, though, because you say you haven't really changed anything up, but I, I assume you have to have trained, changed the training somewhat to go from being focused on the longer distances to being focused on the 1500 is that the case and if so what has changed once you decide to focus on the 1500 yeah from let's say september to may that's the base training period actually we've been running more mileage as i stated previous more thresholds uh, longer easter runs and so forth so the mileage has actually gone up there but in the season the mileage has actually gone up as well because I'm running more mileage now this season than I did the previous season. Just trying to keep the structure, but the, the main change I would say is the is the sessions. It's a bit shorter reps, a bit faster reps, and to be honest, I haven't really done so many track sessions either. I think the competitions themselves has have been the the track sessions this season. So besides them, no track sessions. Really? So how like? I guess since in the last month, you have have you done any track workouts apart from races? Not any real track workouts. Not any very fast one or hard one. Just uh, maintaining maintaining the fitness really. So no yeah. hard track sessions besides the the races themselves. What about in the early spring, like April and May, when you're preparing for these races? Do you, is that when you start doing harder track sessions? Yeah, that's true. So, but it was only two or three weeks with. Maybe one track session a week, and that's pretty much it. And I remember the first track session when I was going to run 400s, maybe in 56, 57. I was full in lactic acid just after one lap, so 
there has happened something from that session onwards to the last competition in Oslo. And what what about your uh, your sponsorship situation? How long? Who is your sponsor? How long have you been sponsored? Yeah, so it's a bit complicated in Norway uh, compared to the US when it comes to sponsor because I think in America it's basically only the shoe sponsor, which is the main sponsor, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Yep. But in Norway you have the federation, you have a track club, you have a shoe sponsor, and it's also very common to have private sponsors as well. So you have maybe six or seven different types of income. And that's how I've been able to go on training camps, and really going on a, a real altitude regime this year. Yeah. How does that um, situation break down? Like, who who's your biggest sponsor? How much of your income is coming from that sponsor? Yeah, right now, Hoka is my bigger sponsor, which is my shoe sponsor, obviously. And they're contribu- contributing to maybe a fourth of the total in- income, I would say. But it's only a national sponsorship. But uh, maybe after 29, I could... Uh, go international with Hoka. We'll see, hopefully. I think they're getting their money's worth at this point. So uh, yeah, you might be due for a raise there. Um, and how long have you been with them? It's actually only, uh, let's say, three months. I just got contacted by a guy that I know from before. Actually, a 5K runner from Norway, which has run 13-11, as in the bureaus. And he asked me, have you ever run with Hoka shoes? And I was like, nah, not really. They just look a bit uh, bulky and... Not the best shoes, to be honest, maybe. But once I tried them, I realized, actually, the mileage shoes, the road shoes, and now the spikes as well are actually as good as or better than the Nike spikes or the Nike shoes, which I used before. Yeah, I think that was the big concern. I know with some of the Americans uh, with Hoka that they didn't have a super spike yet, but it seems like this year they've caught up because you're running well. Luis Grijalva, who's a Hoka athlete, has been running very well on the Diamond League circuit. So you, you like the spikes? Oh, yeah, for sure. I actually love the spike because uh, the first bike I got was just a carbon fiber spike with no special midsole, but I uh, got a prototype with a PPEX midsole now with the carbon fiber plate, and they're absolutely amazing in the 1500. And I think uh, Louis is running on a different prototype in the 5K. I haven't got that shoe yet, but uh, once I get it, maybe I can crash a few 5Ks with them. One of the things Gert said after your run in Paris was that you'd been busy with university the last couple of years and that now, you know, you're able to focus on running pretty much full time. Are, are you done with university yet? Or, and where did you go to school? What was your degree? I'm still a full-time student, actually. So okay. I'm going to university, but I'm not working anymore. That's probably what he meant. To, uh, but I'm going on, uh, what should I say, data science uh, applied, I think the name of the degree, and it's a mm-hmm. master's degree. So I've been going four years, and I have one year left. But I think I'm gonna do my master's degree and after the Olympics, and not before, to be honest. What school is that? It's the university in Stavanger, the city, which is the city where I'm living nearby. Okay. Um, and what what was your job? What were you doing when you were working? Uh, first, I've always been working on a farm because my uncle had a farm. So I've always been doing some manual labor up there from I was six years old to I was 19 to 20. And I also, besides that, worked in a, in a shoe or should I say sports store, shoe store in, in Sandnes, the town where the Ingebrigtsens are from. But you're from, are you from Stavanger? 
Uh, I'm not really. I'm from the more rural parts of uh, the same region, but it's, let's say, 10 to 15 minutes south of Stavanger. So it's more like the, the redneck uh, area of the, of the region. Okay. I didn't, know, I didn't know they had rednecks in Norway. Oh, yeah. We have some there as well, yeah. Okay. So and how do you manage school? Like, are you going to classes all the time or do you, can you do most of it online? How does that work? I think I'm at school maybe three times every uh, semester, and that's when I'm taking my exams. And besides that, I try to just stay on the computer and do the schoolwork from home because I don't want to get sick. I don't want to socialize too much, and I don't really want to be doing schoolwork when I'm supposed to train. So I'm not really the most serious student, but uh, try to try to get along, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. So Jakob... He's a pretty big deal in Norway. You know, he's had a TV show. He's been in the spotlight since he was very young. So I'm sure his when he runs fast, you know, he's getting headlines. But what was the reception to your run at the BizLite Games? You run 329. That puts you among the best in the world this year. Have you gotten a lot of attention in Norwegian media the last week or so? Yeah, I would say so, to be honest. Uh, but I think it was mainly because of the race, I uh, had a few tears because it was a big moment. And that was really the thing that draw attention from the media. But uh, I think the Norwegian media is well aware of what 329 means. And they're quite interested, actually, even though I'm not a big superstar as Jacob and winning global medals. But uh, the interest has uh, have been quite uh, overwhelming, to be honest. And how did you, you celebrate that night? Did you have family come to watch you at the stadium? What was it like that evening? No, they were not there because I said it's better to watch it at home on the TV. You can see more, you can listen more. I mean, it's good commentators back in Norway. So I just went back to the hotel room, had a good dinner, some water, and actually a dessert. And then the next morning, I went to the airport and flew to St. Moritz, basically. That was the celebration. Gotcha. And when you were in Norway, uh, where, where do, you tra- do you train in Stavanger or where, where are you based? Yeah, I mainly train uh, where I live, uh, the 10-15 minutes south of Sannes on the trails there, on the Easter runs. And when we're having sessions, I'm going into Sannes with uh, my training partner, Persvela, which is a 5K runner. And it's Jurt as well, obviously. So the three of us. When and how did you start being coached by Gert? The first time I spoke with him was back in 2014. And it wasn't the coach, a coach at the moment. He just gave some advice. I was on the training field uh, at the same time as the brothers. But uh, it was in 2020, it was the first time I received a program from him. And it was, uh, I should say, a real coach and a real trainer. And he sent a program every single week from 2020 and, and onwards until today. So why did you decide to start training with him? And was it easy? Was it? easy convincing him to let you join the group? I didn't have to do any convincing because I got invited by another guy in the group and he just said you should meet up. I think it's a good a good group for you at your level because there was not only the brothers, uh, there were also hobby joggers as well, which was running the half marathon. So I thought, why not? I can, I can run together with them at the same time as the brothers are doing their thing. But uh, we didn't train together. We were just at the same time, yeah, at the same place, basically. So did, did you ever work out with the brothers? 
Yeah, the last years before they split up with their father, we had some workouts, especially me and Henrik and also Jacob as well. But I soon realized that's not too smart to run workouts with Jacob because you very soon will burn out because it's just going too fast and your lactic acid is just too high compared to his and the training just doesn't work out right. So don't think that was uh, a too good of an idea. What What's it like being coached by Gyo? Because uh, you know, if you've watched the documentary, I'm sure you've watched some of it. I, I've seen some of the. He he seems like a pretty intense guy. So, what's it like um, in that environment being coached by him? To be honest, he's quite relaxed uh, on the trainings. I mean, if you're doing what you're told, and there's no problems, why should he be anxious about that? So, I think he's quite relaxed, obviously. But uh, if you're not doing what you're supposed to do, and if I'm stating I'm going to run 3:30 this year and not taking the consequences of that and not doing the correct training or having the correct intensity and so forth, then he can shout in you or, or yell at you. But I think uh, he's, he's got the full right to do that if you're not taking the consequences of your own uh, goals. Do you notice him? Did you get treated differently from his sons as athletes? Maybe before, but uh, not anymore. Now I think it's it's all the same. But I have to admit, it's probably better to just be an athlete and not a son and an athlete because it's easier just to go home, have the training there and go home. And then you can meet up the next day and everything is fine. But if you're taking a conflict from training back home, then it's probably a bit more difficult to sustain the relationship, I think. Yeah. What? Why do you think they split at the end of uh, 2021? Yeah, I think it was probably because of that. And it was just not a month. I was 10 years of that exact same thing. And I think that was the, the main reason. But to be honest, I don't know too much about it. And I'm I'm not asking him either because I think he's going to... If he want to tell me, then he can tell me. But if not, then it's okay. We're yeah. professionals. What What's it like, though, going to track meets with... Ya- you, you know, you're being coached by Gyo- Jakob's there. He's a competitor. So... Is that strange? Is an awkward dynamic d- dynamic at all? Yeah, it's a bit weird, but uh, we're getting used to it. But before we were partners or teammates, but now we're competitors, and it's a bit different. But uh, you just have to be professional, to be honest, and just focus on your own race. And he's just a competitor, as everybody else in the circuit. That's pretty much it. Yeah. What What's your relationship like um, now with Jakob? We were colleagues. Back in the days when we trained together, we really didn't have any common interests. So to be honest, we're not friends anymore. But uh, trying to just be professionals when we're meeting up at the meets. Mm-hmm. But no friends, to be honest. Uh, Gert has said, you know, he's been coaching you. Well, he said he was coaching you since you were 15. But is that more just he had been offering advice? It seems like you said you'd only been really coached for him the last three years. Yeah, that's true. So been giving advice for almost nine years now. So I've been knowing him for nine years and been training after his program and his system for, for nine years. That's true. Okay, so your previous coach kind of used a system that was modeled on his? Uh, not really, because when I started in 2014, I got introduced to the program, to Dredd's program and started training after it, but I didn't really have any coach. It was just myself. Oh, until until 2020? Yeah. Okay, all right. Um, but he, one thing he did say is, you know, once 
he stopped coaching Jakob and the brothers, he was able to put more attention, more focus onto you and some of the other athletes he still coaches. Have you found that to be the case? And if so, you know, what are the differences? Yeah, that's definitely true. And as I said previous, you could maybe run a session or workout with Jacob or Henrik, but it wasn't really the right intensity or pace for you. So now it's always my pace, my intensity, and that's it. So you just get a workout that's 100% perfect for you and not 95% perfect because you have to run with somebody else. And that's probably the main reason the improvements have been so good this year. That seems to be one of the challenges of double threshold training is because it's so focused on these specific lactate levels. If you're not working out with someone who's very close to you in terms of fitness or where their lactate is, one of you guys is going to be running too fast, right? That's definitely true. So uh, it's all about being the fastest guy in the group. Then you always get the correct intensity. So I think it's uh, it's good to differentiate if you're more than one guy in a group you can maybe run at different paces and sometimes you can obviously run together but i think the best uh, thing is just to keep your own pace even though it means you have to run by yourself right right so like double threshold how you said you're doing it tuesday and thursday pretty much the whole time during the base phase that that would be from when until when should say maybe 1st of October until 1st of May. It's basically the, the, the base period, but maybe you can start maybe late September or end the period in late May. It depends really, but uh, it's approximately seven months worth of work from October to May. And then since you know the start of May, how much do you do it now? We're still doing it. I mean, I'll try to do it every single week, even in the racing weeks, to be honest, but uh, trying to keep the mileage high and trying to keep the structure. So just staying on the same program. How many miles right now are you running a week? Uh, during the racing season, I had around 90 to 100 miles when I had a race. In, well, it was Saturdays or the weekends. And now we're back on 110 to 115 miles between the racings, racing weeks. Gotcha. And how, what does your training look like between now and the World Championships? Just base training, double thresholds. That's it. Okay, so are you back to twice a week now, you think? Yeah. Okay. And how like how much track surely at some point you'll need to kind of do what you did before the the outdoor season though, hit a few hard track sessions before you go to Bud- Budapest. Do you imagine that will change maybe late July? Or like how how do you actually prepare for a, a championship competition under this system? I think you have to prepare prepare with running races as hard workouts and if you're not running races you obviously have to do some hard workouts on the track but it's more fun just running race instead of having a track workout so i think that's the that's the plan before the world's just find a few races do your weeks as you've done before and then maybe have a week or two with no races before the world's just to taper a bit and then that's pretty much it okay so i mean that's it's it's really interesting to me because a lot of Americans to sort of take the op- opposite approach. They're like, we need to back off the racing, just focus on really hard training for sort of the month before the world championships. Uh, like, have you ever had any sort of consideration of trying that? Or why do you think races sort of better serve you to prepare for a championship than just training and dictating things on your own terms? 
Yeah, because when you're training on this system, I mean, a race isn't taking that much of a toll on you. It's not that much harder than a regular track session. So why would you just go on a track, run a session for nothing when you can run a race and win some money, get some attention and so forth. And it's even obviously more fun, more adrenaline and so forth. So we, we've been trying the other method before, but I think this one is working out better, to be honest. Do you add anything on top of the races? Like, when, do you have an extra workout that day? You'll add some intervals afterwards or is just the race your only hard part of that day? It depends if it's a half marathon, then there's no session before or afterwards. But if it's a short race, maybe you can hit a few reps afterwards before just to just to get your mileage in, just to get the threshold in. Mm -hmm. So one of the things you said, you know, you think your improvement is because you've been so consistent with this training. You haven't had very many injuries the last five years. And you, you've been running faster. I mean, you make the Olympics in the 5K, but you were not at the world-class level you're at now. And I'm, I'm curious, like, were there any points where you were frustrated or thinking, I'm not improving to the point I want to improve? Or did you always have faith that this breakout that you've had this year would come? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, in 2021, that was a quite good uh, season. I worked hard and I got some good results. I qualified to the Olympics and I PB'd in with 17 seconds in the 5K. But last season, I would state, was a disaster because I PB'd with 8 tenths of a second in the 5K and the Worlds was terrible. The Europeans were even more terrible. And after the European Championships, I said, I don't want to do this anymore. I've been doing all these miles just not to become any better. So why should I do it? So there was some weeks there where I wanted just to quit the professional running, but uh, I got convinced to keep on going for at least two more years. Who convinced you? Yacht. What did he say? What was his argument to keep you going? He said, you've been going so far. I mean, you're this far. Just give it two more years. I guarantee you the results will come. Just give it at least two more years and I can guarantee you. And they did come. And was he the one who suggested you move down to the 1500 or did that come from you? I think it came from both because I'm not sure which one was, was the first to suggest it, but uh, either way, both agreed that this was the best uh, thing to do this season. Just give it a go. Let's see how fast you can go and Maybe that's a better distance to focus on at the championships due to the fact it's going to get hot and humid. So it's a bit easier on the body compared to running a 5K. Right. And I, th I think I've read this, but I wanted to confirm it with you. The reason you started out in the longer distances is just because you didn't think you were talented enough to run you know, at a top level in the 1500? That's 100% true. I didn't think I was talented enough and I didn't think I was fast enough. And I'm not fast. I can guarantee you I'm the slowest sub-330 guy in the history. I think I'm not able to run faster than 147 in the 800. And I can for sure not run sub-24 in a flying 200. Okay, wow. What is your, what's your 400 PB? I've never run a 400 all out, but with a block start, maybe a 51, I think. Only 51? You don't think you can yeah, do yeah. it? Not at all. Not a single chance going sub-50. Oh, man. Because, I mean, 
it, I guess you're lucky you're running in this era of the 1500 because 2016, oh, yeah. <laughs> Matthew Centrowitz, his last lap in the Olympics was 50 seconds. So you might be that's in trouble right. if you have to do that. Yeah. So I'm lucky. Yeah, that's true. But uh, when I'm running the fastest last lap, it's not because I'm the fastest or speediest guy. It's because I have the least lactic acid. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Well, I'm sure. I mean, doing 100, 125 miles a week, I can't imagine there are very many 1500 runners who are running more than that. Do you know what Jakob's mileage is? Is that around what he's doing? It was around 115 miles a week. I'm not sure if it's going up or increasing, but uh, let's say around 115 miles a week. I think that's the, that's the goal he's trying to hit. Yeah. What for, like, and does that worry you at all when you when you're at this 329 level uh you're going to be in the mix for these championships most of these are going fast but like is it a concern at all like hey if it's a prelim and it's a little on the slower side there's no time qualifiers now so some of these prelims at the world championships might be slower how concerned are you that hey i might not be able to kick quite as well with some of these guys in a slower race I'm a bit concerned, but uh, when we're running a tactical race, I mean, we're still going faster than threshold pace. So I still have less lactic acid than the 800 guy. So I still can run almost all out the last 400. And if that's 51 flying, then I still think it's good enough to get uh, through the rounds in the semifinals. But of course, you're a bit concerned. So you've got to place yourself around and be at the good position when the bell rings for the last lap. Yeah. How much how much experience do you have in that sort of race, like championship, 1500 with the rounds? Have you done those before? Nothing, not even at nationals. So I'm going to run the 1500 at nationals now in July just to test uh, things out with uh, runners with uh, weaker PBs just to see how things turns out in the, in the nationals and then just go to Worlds and think everything is going to go fine. Just reach the final. That's the main goal. But uh, if not, you know why. It's because you have no experience from before. Yeah, yeah. I mean that. Yeah, that's one of the nice things about the U.S. system with American miles is they do get to run the NCAA most of them, and that kind of gets them the practice so that when they go to Worlds, it's uh, you know, they've at least been used to that sort of thing. Not all of them show up and run well immediately, but it, it is kind of a nice little proving ground for them, you know. Um. Oh, sorry. Did I cut you up? If you're going to say I something, just keep keep on going. Keep on going. Okay. No, I, I was going to change the subject here to something. I mean, it's it's pretty uncommon for an athlete to go from 336 to 329 in one year. And you know, there are some people out there who would say this is not possible. You you can't do it without taking performance enhancing drugs to improve that much. Like when you do, you hear those concerns, and like, what would you say to anyone who sort of questions that improvement? <laughs> Yeah, I've been also seeing the, these threads on let'srun.com. I'm not the most frequent visitor, but I, I'm in there and I'm reading the message boards. And it's a bit provoking, to be honest, because you're working this hard for 10 years just to be told you're cheating. But it's possible. And as I said earlier, I'm not, I've not gone from 36 to 29 because I think I could have run 33 last year, but uh, still, it's possible, obviously. And it's possible to go even faster and be 100% clean. So I don't really see why these accusations are coming, but it's a bit typical for, for these forum warriors. How, how does it make you feel when you see 
your name being thrown out there with those sort of accusations? To be honest, back in the days when I was a much uh, worse runner and a much slower runner, maybe I was one of those guys as well because I didn't know. I mean, I had never run 29, so but now as I've done it, I can say it's possible to go 29. Anyhow, where you come from or what the talent is, just work out year after year, then it's possible. So you just have to feel it. You have to run it to understand that it's possible. So you don't have to come with accusations like these when people are running fast and improving fast. Yeah. Well, yeah, thanks uh, You know, thanks for addressing that because uh, I know it's sometimes athletes get uncomfortable when we talk about that sort of stuff, but I figure at least give you a chance to, to respond to it if you wanted to. Uh, Alex, I think we're getting towards the end of the interview here. I'm going to bring in intern Alex if you've got any questions for Nava that you wanted to go over. Yeah, I mean, coming from Norway, Norway has a population of like five point something million, but you guys have so many amazing athletes from the triathlon to the Winter Olympics. Like, wh- where do you think this this like athleticism and and like love for sport comes from in Norway? Yeah, I think it's an, an endurance culture in Norway for endurance athletics, and it's always been there, but. We've never been quite good in these summer Olympics events, but now as we see people are able to, to get medals in the summer Olympics, then maybe more people think they can do it as well. So I think somebody has to start showing that it's possible in endurance events in winter as well as summer Olympics. And then everybody else is just following along. And I think that's the main reason why so many Norwegians are coming up in the 1500 and the 5K right now. Being a fan of endurance sport, um, I don't know if you've heard of the of the term like the Norwegian hype train in triathlon. Are you are you do you have any relationship with uh, with Christian Blumenfeld or Gustav Eden, who are like taking over the uh, the triathlon world? And, and and Blumenfeld's the reigning Olympic champion. Have you have you, have you met them? Have you, do you have any relationship with them? Oh yeah, we met them back in uh, April in Sierra Nevada, the altitude training center in Spain, which is located around 2,400 meters above sea level. So we we sat with them at breakfast, lunch, dinner every single day while we're up there. So they're good guys, good Norwegians. But that was the first time I met them, and they're training off of the same uh, system, just that they're cycling and swimming, obviously as well too, besides running. Oh, I wanted to jump in and ask about the altitude actually, because I think that's one other thing I had read you've been doing more of it this year compared to previous years. And we've seen it very similarly with uh, Yara Nagus, the American. He was in college until last year. He'd never trained at altitude. Now he's based in Boulder and he's made these big improvements. So how much altitude training were you doing before this year and how much of an effect do you think it's had on your improvement? Yeah, so from 2018 to 2022, I went occasionally on altitude camps, maybe just once a year, but you don't really get an effect from that because you have to be in the regime, being on several camps throughout the base period. And this year is the first time I've been doing that. So one camp in October, one in January, and one in April, all about one month at uh, 2,400 meters above sea level. So I think that also contributes to the fact that I've been improving so quickly when the track season first started. 
Right, and you're you're at altitude now as well. Will you stay there, stay based at, in St. Moritz until Worlds, or where are you going to be uh, from now until August? Yeah, basically in St. Moritz. So we're going to go back home for nationals, and then maybe run a few races uh, at sea level, and then going back up here until until the Worlds. So just going to stay located here, and then race around, and then up and down from St. Moritz. But this is the base for the summer. And the Sierra Nevada, that's where you guys, you know, go in, in the winter, I think. It seems like it's very basic. From the clips I saw, Team Ingebrigtsen, it's the track on the mountain, and then there's not much else there. Like, what is it like at that training camp? What do you do to pass the time between your workouts? Yeah, usually I run because I love it, but up there it's work. It's just work because I hate it up there. The food is just terrible. I mean, you have to run on the treadmill, and I hate running on the treadmill. And once you're going to go outside doing track session, it's just the track. It's a warm-up, cool-down. Everything is just round around the track or the, or the grass turf on the inside. So it's just insanely boring being up there. But it works if you stay injury-free. Definitely works. So it's more of a work trip on a month uh, yeah. compared to where you have more joy in the running back home. Yeah, I'm sure St. Moritz is a little a little nicer in the summer than uh, Sierra Nevada. But like, what are you? Are you just in your room watching TV? Like, what do you do in between the sessions? Hopefully, or luckily, I should say, I have a school, so I can do schoolwork, and then the time just goes by very, very quickly. And then the next sessions arrive in the evening before you know it. So the session and the schoolwork is the main uh, events of the day, and the food is more like ah, you just have to do it. So the training is more fun than the eating up there. Yeah. And the workouts, like how often are you working out on the treadmill? Because I've talked to some people who do double threshold and they like to be on the treadmill because they can set at a very consistent pace. Uh, and it's also pretty easy to be pricked in between uh, reps and that sort of stuff. Like how much of your workouts is done on the treadmill? So when in Sierra Nevada, it's basically three workouts a week i should say the morning thresholds and then when i'm back home i try to avoid the treadmill as much as possible because i hate it so when i'm doing morning thresholds back home i'm doing it uh, on uh, trails to be honest in the woods or with the beaches and i don't know how fast i run i just know how many minutes i run and i don't really measure anything afterwards so that's how i do it back home so no treadmill gotcha and outside of the threshold stuff, like, do you have another hard session in the week? Like, you know, Marius Barkin called it the X element with either hills or something like that. Like, do you have that in place in the base phase? And if so, what does it look like? Oh, yeah, the hills. That's the hills we're doing. Just once a week? Once a week. Yeah. And what about like a long run? How, what is the longest run you will do? Uh, you know, when you're training both double, both in the base phase and also now? I wouldn't really call it a long, long run because it's too easy and too short, but uh, mostly 20k, to be honest. So it's not really a long run, just something longer than the regular easy runs. And it's always easy, never fast. Gotcha. Because that, that's interesting. A lot of, I, I know sort of a lot of Western systems will place a lot of emphasis on the long run. So you got to do this once a week. It's got to be 15, 16, sometimes longer. I mean, it depends on the athlete, but 
double threshold, it doesn't seem to be much of an emphasis on having that one big weekly long run. Uh, why do you think that is? And you know, do you think people overrate the importance of the long run? Or what are your thoughts on that? Uh, can you repeat the last sentence? I didn't hear it because of the terrible Sykemaris internet. Oh, I'm sorry. I said, uh, do you think people overrate the importance of the long run at all? Not really, because we're training for 1500 to 5k, but if you're going to do the 10k half marathon marathon, you got to have a fast long run, I think. If not, you're not going to reach a top level. But uh, when you're doing double threshold, putting a long run, hard long run into the mix, it's just going to get too tough. You're not going to get fully recovered until the next double threshold, then you're not going to be fully recovered in the long run. So that's the reason we're not doing it, because it's just too much, too tough, too hard. You've talked about uh, many times, you talked about how recovery is important. You've stayed injury free for five years. Like what techniques do you employ? Have you done anything like special or different to like stay injury free while doing this double threshold training? Yeah, I think uh, one of the reasons is that I'm running never on concrete or asphalt. I'm always trying to run on soft surfaces on trails or dirt roads or, or surfaces like that to try to avoid hard surfaces. And try to avoid the treadmill because I think it's a bit too monotone and a bit too hard and stiff as a surface. And as well, you got to be very mm. good with eating enough and the right nutrition. I think that's important as well as doing strengthening work, plyometrics, mobility, exercises like that. And just uh, be patient and do the progression in a smart way. So not going from 70 miles in one season to 100 miles in the next season, but try to increase with maybe 5 to 10 miles every single year until you reach 150 miles a year, let's say. Uh, so do you think you're going to treat, try to keep increasing your mileage? Like 120, 125 is quite a lot to do. Like, Do you plan on getting up to 130 or 140 in the next couple oh, of yeah. years? That's the plan. That's the plan. Just keep on building until we can't really do it anymore. And as well, as long as the progression and improving is there, why not? Because just got to try to improve every single season. So that's the main plan, yeah. Right. And what, what does the volume look like on a double threshold day? How, how many miles or kilometers of intervals are you doing in the morning? How many in the afternoon? I think the usual thing is to 10K of intervals in morning and evening. but uh, And as well, maybe... 10k easy mileage as well but we're trying to hit a bit more because we're doing it so many years now so we just try to increase the mileage both on the easy runs and the mileage in on threshold as well and is the intensity so of both sessions the same or is one of them faster than the other the intensity is the same but i'm feeling crap in the morning so the pace is usually a bit slower in the mornings than in the evenings for my part so you feel better in the evenings, even though you've already had a session that day, than you do when you. Wake oh up yeah, in the much much better. I mean, the warm up in the evening is terrible, but once you get a few intervals going, then it's all good. That's the best feeling you can have that day. All right, and what's your racing schedule look like between now and Budapest? Do you have do you have it set yet? Not really, but uh, as I said, it's going to be nationals in two weeks, and then hopefully I can get into a few diamond leagues in the 1500. I don't know yet, but that's the 
plan. Then maybe a 5k, but I'm not sure if we're going to run a 5k because it's uh, demanding a bit more recovery afterwards compared to a 1500. But uh, it would be fun just to run a 5k in the shape that I'm in right now, just to see if we can hit the 12s or something. Yeah, that would be a dream. So Monaco 1500, do you want it? That's usually the big one. Are you going to try to run that? Unfortunately, there is no 1500 in Monaco this year. Oh man, yeah. it's only the 5k. So. But I think it's in Silesia, Poland, and London. Maybe one of those two. Okay, yeah, the, you'll have a chance there. That's that's a bummer. As, as a track fan, the Monaco fifteen hundred. There should be a fifteen hundred Monaco every year. That just needs to be a rule. So I don't know why they wouldn't do that. But I guess at least well, the fifteen hundreds have been pretty good on the Diamond League circuit this year. So I'm sure the ones in Silesia and and London will be good as well. Uh, are you, like, are you a track fan at all? Do you follow the results of other events? Like, do you? Do you watch Diamond Leagues when you're not competing at them? Oh yeah, I'm a massive track fan. I know everything about everyone, basically. Especially in the middle and long distances. I know every single time that every person has run. So I'm a massive track fan. Oh, okay, that's good. I imagine that makes sense if you're on the Let's Run.com message boards. You're probably a pretty big track fan. Um, so <laughs> yeah, uh, that makes sense to us. Alex, any final, any final question before we let Nava go? I think I'm good. All right. Well, Nava, anything else you wanted to say before uh, we let you go and get back to training? I think we're good. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, you know, a lot of athletes we talked to, you know, it varies. Some are more open than others, some are less forthcoming, but uh, I really appreciate everything you shared with us. It was very, I think our American listeners are going to appreciate hearing your backstory and yeah thank you for the time congratulations on the great 2023 season so far and we will see you in august in the world championships thank you for having me and thank you so much we'll see you goodbye if you listen this long and you're not a supporters club member we assume you loved the interview you could have heard it a couple days ago we had it out early for supporters club members if you're a supporters club member you get a second podcast every week Savings and running shoes, all the Let's Run content. Join today, let'srun.com slash subscribe. And hey, use code CLUB25 to save 25% off your first year. Join for a year, you get a free t-shirt, CLUB25. Link in the show notes.